So I told her, I leaned, I said, baby, did we miss the boat here? Because <laughs> we're driving a little bit further than that to church, but praise the Lord. God is good. Amen. Uh, but I'm so thankful that they are here with me, my family, my wife, my kids. You will hear my kid throughout the service. I just I give you a heads up, a fair warning. Um, he's one and we can't control him just yet. Amen. Um, but God has been faithful and we're so thankful to be a part of the Metro East family. Amen. That's really the only word that I could describe this entire region. Amen. Just because of the way that the churches operate, the way the churches connect and are unified and, and support one another. It's it's just like family. Amen. So we're and I'm so thankful to do to be a part of that. Uh, we just launched our, our second church, our Spanish church here in O'Fallon a few weeks ago on Easter Sunday. So we're excited to just continue uh, working in the field that the Lord has placed us in. Amen. Um, and there's plenty more where that came from as far as the vision that the Lord has given us. Uh, so we're just excited to be here. Amen. Uh, section 4 has always been a, uh, uh, the, the saying is probably accurate that section 4 does more. Amen. I'm sure you've probably heard that once or twice, but I was able to serve on the youth committee with Brother uh, Adam Heil and Jason Rutherford uh, for years. Um, and let me just tell you that your Move the Missions offerings, they are not in vain. Amen. They, they go to support incredible ministries around the world and locally as well. Um, and we're thankful for churches every year that commit to the mission. Amen. Because at the, at the end of the day, uh, it's not about how much you give. But it's the mission that we're trying to accomplish together, amen? Because God can take $10 and make it into $10 million, amen? So it's not about the money, but it's about the spirit. It's about the desire to give and be part of what the Lord is wanting to do in his kingdom, amen? So we're so thankful for your offering. I know uh, my dear friends on the youth committee probably still uh, appreciate that very much, uh, amen? If, but if you would just wouldn't mind standing with me this, eve, this morning. I want to give honor to Brother Junior as well, Brother Sabolchi. Uh, thank you for having me. Thank you for opening up your pulpit. Um, fun fact, Brother Sabolchi uh, met my wife before we were ever married uh, in Austria. I don't know if he remembers that or not, but about 10 years ago when he was in Austria, um, she would tell, she told me about it. She said, hey, I met somebody from Illinois. Um, and then soon to come, it was to find out as Brother Sabolchi. So, um, amen. This is a missions-minded church. Amen. And, I, and, I, and you can feel that. You can sense that. Amen. Matthew 28, verse 16 to verse 20. If you have your Bibles. Matthew, six, Matthew 28, verse 16 to verse 20. And the word of the Lord reads, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they had saw... And, and when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things, all that I have commanded them. And behold, I am with you always to the end of age. Amen. The, the word of the Lord, this, this is labeled as the Great Commission. Amen. And uh, we're, as it's a move the mission uh, service and focus, I, I do want to preach on a simple topic that is, what's it going to take? Amen. What's it going to take? Lord, we thank you for your goodness, your faithfulness. Thank you for your mercy, your grace that is in this place. Lord, I pray that you use my lips, my heart, my mind to portray the message that you have laid in my heart, oh God, to, for your people here this morning. I pray that you open hearts and minds to receive your word. 
And let us all be fruitful to your, for your kingdom and your glory, Jesus. In the name of the Lord, amen, amen. You could be seated in Jesus' name. Amen. There is, uh, in 1954, uh, any track athletes in the house? Anybody that's ran track in the past? Uh, a couple of you guys, you guys are somewhat familiar. Uh, maybe the name Roger Bannister may ring a bell in your mind. Maybe not. Maybe it's, he's too old for you. Maybe it's too long ago. But Roger Bannister uh, was the first uh, athlete to ever break a four-minute mile. So up to this point in 1954 on May 6th, was the day that that record was broken. Well, not really a record, just the accomplishment was successfully completed. Up to this point, everybody, no one believed that this could be done. Everybody said it's impossible, it's too hard, no one's going to do it, no one's capable of doing it. But Roger, in his mind, was determined to make sure that this uh, accomplishment was met, that this theory and myth that it could not happen would come to pass, and that he would be the first man to break a four-minute mile. And on May 6th, that's exactly what happened. Roger Bannister clocked in at 3 minutes, 59 seconds, and 4 milliseconds, whatever you want to call it. So he just barely made the 4-minute mark. He just barely beat the record. But what's unique and interesting about Roger Bannister is that as soon as he broke it, he changed the mentality of all the runners that would soon take on that race. That moment in history was enough to just absolutely destroy all myths and all factors that something cannot be done. Rogers Bannister's attitude to break the four-minute mile soon became a habitual uh, thing that happened out on the racetrack. It only took 46 days for the next runner to break that four-minute mile, and soon after that, Many, many runners started breaking that four-minute mile. Why? Because the attitude was different. It no longer was, this is impossible. This is something that will never happen. But it became something of, hey, if Roger can do it, I can do it. If somebody broke through, I can break through. If somebody beat it, I can beat it. It's all a matter of your attitude and how we approach things in life when we have things that come up. Amen? Also, uh, we, we live in a society where distractions are king. We're constantly looking for the next thing, for the new shiny toy, for the new thing that we can show off and brag that we've achieved or received or bought. But it's something that our society is plagued with because we are in a continual fight with one another for who is better, who has more, and who can accomplish more. Amen. It's a a distraction to, into everything that we do because by wanting to do more, by wanting to have more, we are neglecting the things that are valuable, the things that are important, and the things that truly make an impact on our lives. You see, when we value the distractions, when we pour into and invest in the distractions that are of this world, whether it be our careers or our hobbies or our sports or whatever it is that takes up your time, that we strive to do new things and do more of it, it just becomes to take a toll. The distractions of this world are coming into our lives to eliminate everything and anything that stands for the word of God and the things of God. Amen. When we, something comes into our life and takes our time, the first thing to go is not the, the, the movie time. It's not the screen time. It's not the time I spent at the sports or at the arenas. It's not the time that I spent working on my yard or the extra time I spend in my career. But when distractions come, the first thing to go is my Bible reading and my prayer time and my fasting time. So you see, distractions are something that the enemy is using nowadays to distract even those that were once founded and rooted in the Word of God but are now 
found themselves distracted by the everyday life, just scrolling through social media, your life has become a 30-second reel of what truly you have to offer. And oftentimes we just scroll through because it's not enough. So we're looking for the next reel, the next movie, the next video that we can engulf in. Distractions and our attitude make a huge impact in who we are, what we do, and how we live our life. You see, we find ourselves in this unique scripture of, uh, that, that the Lord has, has given us in Matthew 28. The great commission, the great, uh, my goal, my purpose, my vision, uh, th- what the Lord desires for me to do and my family to accomplish. There are two things that hinder the great commission from going forward. There are two things that hinder you from fulfilling the will of God in your life, and that is distractions and your attitude. Your distractions will play a factor because it'll take your time away from the things of God, and your attitude will change the way that you look at the things of God. You see, when you look at the things of God, it's not what God can't do and what God can't do, and he can't do this and he can't do that. And if your attitude is consistently, he's never done that for me and he's not going to do that for you. He's never healed me. He's never going to heal you. He's never touched me. He's not going to touch you. If our attitude is simply that of being negative and accusatory to the things of God and of the things that God has not done, We are simply lying to ourselves because the word of God tells us otherwise. The word of God tells us that he is a healer. He is a redeemer. He does restore the brokenhearted. He does deliver those that are bonded and captive. He does heal the sick and he does restore them that need to be restored. Our attitude cannot be what can't he do, but it's what can he do. Amen. And let me tell you, the word of God says that there is nothing that is impossible for our God. There's nothing that is too hard for him. There's nothing that he cannot do. There's no place that he cannot pull you out of. There's no sickness that he cannot take away. There is no sin that he cannot forgive. Our attitude has got to be that God is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we could ask or think. That's the attitude that we've got to keep in mind and the attitude that's got to take a hold of my heart and grip my very being into everything that I am. You see the story that we've read, the Great Commission. Jesus begins to just talk with his disciples, begins to talk with those that gathered around and that those that come to hear him speak and those that come and hear him teach. And the Bible tells us uh, that, that they met at this mountain that they had all come together and were all listening uh, to, to what he had to say. They, and the Bible says in verse 17, and, and, and that they that saw him, they worshipped him. There's some that came to listen, and they worshipped. And there's some that came, listened, and doubted. How could we be in the same room with two total polar opposite trains of thought? How could we be in the same room with two mindsets, with two attitudes that are clashing against one another? One of them worshipped because they knew that everything that was flowing out of his mouth was the word of God and living waters. But others doubted in their mind because how can this be the one that was once dead and is now alive? And they doubted everything that he was saying. They doubted everything that they were hearing, but there are some that are desiring to see the face of God, that are worshiping the one true living God that is standing before them. Let me tell you, when we've come into the house of the Lord, we're not coming here to say, see if God is real or God is not. We're not coming here because we're doubting. We're not coming here 
because we're not sure of what tomorrow holds. But we've come into this house and to these four walls and into this building to lift up our hands in adoration and in worship to the one true God. We have not come because we've doubted, but we've come because we believe. And we're going to worship the one true living God. We've come because we hear his voice and we listen and we obey the word of God. We've come because worship is in my heart and is in my spirit and is in my mind. Even though all things are falling apart around me, everything is coming against me. The world is falling apart. I've come to worship God. I haven't come to doubt his power or his authority. I haven't come to doubt what he's able to do. I've come to worship him because I know that no matter what, he holds my life. He holds my my future. He holds my life and everything in it. And I've come to worship him for that. I have not come to doubt this morning. And I want to come against this morning, against every spirit of fear and doubt that may be plaguing your mind. The doubts that the enemy is placing in your mind are simply that. They are lies. It is not true. The doubts that are in your mind about the word of God are false. The word of God is true and powerful and quicker than anything that could come against you. The word of God is true and forever settled. The word of God is never changing. The word of God is pure and perfect. The word of God is our foundation. The word of God is accurate and it'll keep you safe. The word of God will direct your path. He's a light unto my feet. He is everything that I need. He's everything that I want. The word of God is more than enough. The devil is a liar. Every doubt that's in your mind, every doubt that's in your heart, I rebuke it in the name of Jesus because there's greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Amen. Amen, amen, amen. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. They came to partake, but they did not want to be a part of what he had to say. The word of God lets us know in the same scriptures that as they came, they worshiped and some doubted. But then Jesus does something miraculous, and I think it's just absolutely amazing that you see When there's those that worship and there's those that doubt, God just says, hey, you know what? All power in heaven and earth are given to me. Whether you doubt or you worship, that does not change who I am. It does not take away from who I am. It doesn't take away from my power. It doesn't take away from my kingdom. It doesn't take away from my authority. It doesn't take away from what I can do in heaven and what I can do in earth. So we have to rest assured that that statement when God is declaring his power and his might, it's not simply for those that are worshiping and can believe further, but it's also to convince the doubters that are wondering, can he do it or will he do it? And God says, all power is mine. All authority is mine. All things are mine. And there's nothing that is impossible. There's nothing too great. There's nothing that I can't do. There's no problem that I can't solve. There's no problem that I can't pull you out of. He's saying all power and all authority are mine. And if it's all mine, it's not yours. Because oftentimes that doubt will begin to use that same doubt to try to make you powerless and take it into your own hands. Because when we doubt those that can help and those that are the creator and and him that created us, and when we begin to doubt those that come to help, we begin to take things into our own hands. Because our doubt causes us to take action. Our doubt causes us to make errors and mistakes that were never intended to happen. Look at Abraham and Isaac. It never intended to happen that way. It was never supposed to happen that way. But, but we often take that doubt and we materialize it into actions 
but God is coming into this house this morning to tell you all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. All things physical and all things spiritual. It doesn't matter what you're fighting. It doesn't matter what you're battling. It doesn't matter what troubles are in your mind and in your house. It doesn't matter how big or how small. All your power and all authority over all things in heaven and in earth are mine. They belong to me and I can take care of them. He's told me that he has overcome the world. We may be plagued by sin and temptation and things of this world, but he says, be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. There is nothing in this world that has not been overcome by the Lord Jesus Christ. There is nothing in this world that has not been overcome by your Savior, by your Redeemer, by your Restorer, him that holds your life. He has saved you and he's overcome everything, everything, everything. There is nothing. You can try to hold on to it as much as you want. You can try to put it away and hide it so that nobody else sees it. You can try to ignore it to see if maybe it will go away on its own. Nothing on earth. He says, I have overcome the world. Everything that you can imagine. Your darkest past. Your biggest sin. Your biggest mess up. Your biggest falling, your biggest failures, everything that you've done. that you, God, I am unworthy to be in your presence. God, I am unworthy to be in your house, God. I am unworthy to be called a child of the king. I am unworthy to sit with my brethren. I am unworthy to be around those that love you, Lord. I am the worst. I am the bottom. I am no, there is no room for me. God is saying, I have overcome the world. No matter where you find yourself, no matter how dark of a room you're in, he said, I've overcome it all. You don't have to worry. You don't have to doubt. But you have to believe in my word that says there is nothing that you are going to go through that I cannot bring you through. I have overcome everything, every problem, every trial, every situation, everything that you can imagine. I've overcome. And now that we know that all the power and authority has been given to him, on earth and in heaven. And so he, he sets that benchmark. He lets them know like, hey, I could do all things. You don't have to worry about what you can do. You don't have to worry about what all you can offer. I can do it all. I just need your hands. I need your feet. I don't need your power. I need your resource. I just need you to be willing. So he's letting us know, hey, I, I've got it all under control. I've got all authority. And then he turns around and says, now go. He knows he's, he, he knows he's letting us know that we're not going on our own accord. We're not going based on what I can do. We're not going based on what I can accomplish. We're not going based on what I think or what I want to do or my plans and my vision and my purpose and my layout and my career path and my school path. And it's irrelevant to God. He's telling us all, all authority is mine. Now you need to go and you need to make disciples of all nations. Let us just pause right there. Disciple making is harder than it sounds. Because disciples were not made overnight. They spent day and night with Jesus. They broke bread, breakfast, lunch, dinner. They had sleepovers. Amen. They spent a lot of time together. They... they Hey, Jesus, you got to go, you, you got to go deliver, I'll go deliver food with you. Nobody ever knew when he was going to teach or preach to those that he encountered. They just wanted to be where he was. 
Jesus, you got to walk your donkey. I'll walk your donkey with you. That's how discipleship happens. It's not always necessarily what you're doing, but it's imitating that one that you're following. And, and he's telling us, you need to go be disciples. He's showing us an example that, hey, just how I walked, I need you guys to walk. Just how I dealt with people, I need you guys to deal with people. Just how I ate with sinners, I need you to eat with sinners. Just how I spent my afternoons not watching TV, not going to the ballpark, not going here, not going there. I spent it teaching the word of God. I need you to teach the word of God. So he's telling us, go make disciples. Don't just try to be perfect. Don't just try to be, hey, it's only about you and about my family. No, he's telling you, go reach somebody. Go bring somebody to the house of the Lord. Go spend your evenings with them. Go spend your Saturday afternoons with them. That Sunday morning that you so enjoyed and maybe just sit up, cozed up in your house. I get it. I've been there. We just don't want to go anywhere that Saturday morning. Amen. But there are times when God is saying there is someone that is hungry for the word of God. They want to hear you speak life into their life. They want to hear you speak the word of God into their spirit. And they're hungry and they're wanting more and more and more. And here we are sitting on a rocker on a Saturday morning. But God is saying if you, want to, if you really want to build a disciple, if you truly want somebody to be a disciple of who you are, you've got to just spend time with them. And time is the most valuable resource that we have. I have come to a conclusion, absolutely, absolute conclusion, that people don't like teaching Bible studies, not because they don't love God, not because they don't love the material, but because they don't want to invest the time that it takes to bring somebody through it. Because a Bible study is not a one-time, one-shot thing. A Bible study is, hey, we're in this for six months. We're in this for three months. And if they ask questions, you're there for a year. Amen? That's, hello? Anybody ever taught a Bible study? Amen? You, you, you get through one chart and it's, man, we've been here for a month. I, I should pick up the pace. That, that's discipleship. Amen? But, but people are, oh, yeah, let's do it. And they're two weeks in it. Hey, I got a ball game. Can we do it next week? And the next week never comes back. So he's telling us, go make disciples. Go spend time with people. Commit to spending time with people. Amen. So he's saying, uh, go, go, go make disciples. Um, go ye therefore make disciples, uh, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. He's saying, hey, go, go teach them who is the Father. Go teach them who is the Son. And go teach them what is the Holy Spirit. And, and when they come to that realization, they realize, hey, the one that's been teaching this is sitting right in front of me, and his name is Jesus. His name is Jesus, and he's been telling me, and I need to learn who he is, but he's showing me different avenues of how to get to him. He's showing me different categories, categories of who he is. He's showing me different manifestations of who he is. He's not telling you to go do something different, but he's simply saying, hey, I want you to know me as the Father, and I want you to know me as the Son, and I also want you to know me as the Holy Ghost. How do you do that? By spending time with someone. It does not happen overnight. We can baptize and we can teach and we can preach and we can do all of the great things that we're called to do and we can be faithful, but we have to make disciples of people and that takes time. We have to be willing to invest. We have to be willing to not just teach, but also follow through and follow up. You see, when we break the word of God, when we open that word of God in, on, a, on a countertop or on a kitchen table, that word of God is powerful. 
that word of God, when it's spoken, it brings life. It changes not just the hearer, but also the speaker of the word of, of, the word of God. You see, you can't dive into the word of God. Even if you're studying it to teach it, you can't dive into it and allow it to minister into your heart and into your mind. You see, when you read the word of God, it doesn't matter who you are, what you're doing, or what your plan is for it, but it's so alive that it just begins to jump out at you and you begin to pick things up and hear things in the word of God that you've never heard before. And you say, God, how can it be that I've read this 50 million times and I've never saw it, but it's clear as day right here, God, that you want me to commit to you, God, that you want me to give you my life, Lord, and you want me to repent and be baptized in Jesus' name. God, how can it be? that I've missed it for so long but it's because when we dive into the word of God it speaks to us it dives into our hearts into our minds into our spirit and it causes a stirring in our life that maybe perhaps we're not used to but if we're ready and probably if we're ready and we're willing to make that change God can transform your life you see now the word of God, he, he tells us to go and make disciples and baptize and, uh, and teach and all of this stuff and, and teach them to observe all the things that I have commanded you, all of the things. It's going to get a little, might step on some toes a little bit, but it's not saying some of the things. I can't just say, Lord, let me just rip this page off. And if it's not in my word, I don't have to necessarily listen to it. We can't simply say, God, I want to ignore the entire book of Acts. I don't like it. We can't say, Lord, I'm afraid of the end of the world and of the coming of time. I'm going to just ignore Revelation. Amen? We can't say, God... I don't like the way Luke talks. He, he's just too smart. He's too intelligent. He's, he, he, I, don't, I can't follow. I'm just going to ignore him. The, it says, observing all the things I have commanded you. God is commanding us this morning to take up our cross and follow him. God is picking us this morning and telling us and letting us know if you haven't been baptized in Jesus' name, you've got to be baptized in Jesus' name because his word says it and declares it. If you have not been filled with the Holy Ghost with evidence of speaking in other tongues, this morning would be a great time for God to fill you with the Holy Ghost. Why? Because it's in his word and it's for me. It's in his word and it's for your family and your kids. And he's telling me that I have to observe all things. All things. So sometimes some people will tell you, well, the Holy Ghost was for those days and, and those times. And it's not real now. And not everybody has to get it. Let me tell you, the word of God says that it's for you and for your sons and for your daughters and for everyone that is afar off. You know who is afar off? You and me are afar off. You and the next generation are afar off. My children are afar off. The word of God is true and the Holy Ghost is true and it's for you and it's for your children and for their children and for those that are not even born yet. But the word of God says the Holy Ghost is for them because he's made a promise that he's going to fill everybody and anybody that is willing to take on his cross and follow him. But we've got to observe all things. Observe all the things that the Lord is wanting to do in your life. It's going to hurt. It's going to be painful. You don't go to the doctor and tell them, doctor, I need you to cure me of this cancer, so I need you to operate, but I don't want you to cut me open. 
It don't work that way. If you have something that the doctor has to cut you open, there is no other choice. He either cuts you open or you die. And when we come to the Lord and we've come with repentance in our heart, and we say, God, I'm ready for you to change my life. I'm ready for you to turn my life around. I'm ready for you to take all my sin away. What he's saying is saying, what we're saying is, God, do with me what you want to. Do with me whatever you please. Do with me what you want to do right now, God. There is no restriction. There is no hesitation. And there is no boundaries, God. Here I am. Cut me wide open if you have to. But I want to be clean. I want to be pure. I want to be holy. I want to be restored. I want to be redeemed. Lord, there is no boundaries for what you can do in my life. But that only happens when we observe all things that he's commanded us to do. And the last part of that verse says, Lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. He's eternal. He can be there till the end of the world. We can tell our spouse, we'll be there till the end of the world, but Maybe I get to 100 years old, maybe. It ain't going to be forever. But the Lord is saying, I will be there with you until the end of the world. John chapter 6, verse 68, Simon Peter says, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. They declared it from a lot earlier in Scripture that the Lord and his word are eternal. And we have to look nowhere else. We don't have to go find someone else to fill his gap and fill the void when eternity comes to a close. That's not possible. When the world comes to an end, there is no one that steps in and says, I'm the new God now that the world has come to an end. But he says that he is eternal and his word is eternal and he will be with you till the end of the world until the end of time. The word of God, is if he pulled you out. He's not going to leave you halfway there. If he pulled you out of that pit, he's not going to leave you at the rim of the pit for you to fall back in. If he's pulled you out of that darkness, he's not going to pull you out just to put you back in. If he's pulled you out of darkness and sin and restored your life and healed your marriage and healed your body, he's not simply going to heal you so you can get sick again. But God is saying, hey, I'm going to be with you till the end of the world. I'm going to be with you every step of the way. I'm going to be with you every time you take a breath, every time you take a step, every time you go into your car and into your home and every day you go into your job. I'm going to be with you everywhere at all times. And let me tell you, when we deposit that into our spirits, we can make sure in our lives, hey, God, this life's getting a little tough right now. Hey, God, this problem is a little heavy for me, God. Hey, God, I can't do this on my own right now. God, I, I don't know where you are right now, God. I don't feel you in my side. I don't feel you near me, God. But this problem is overcoming me, God. This problem is causing me to doubt and be confused, God. And I'm being fearful and anxious of what's to come. But the Lord is saying, I'm going to be with you until the end of the world. Although you may not feel me right now, that doesn't mean I've left you. Just because you don't right now does not mean that I'm gone just because you don't feel my presence does not mean that I've abandoned you but he's saying hey through your darkest times and through your best of times through the lowest valley and the highest mountain no matter what you're going through the word of God says that he is with me that he's going to walk with me that he's going to hold my hand that he's going to go beside me Ah, we ought to be joyful this morning that no matter what we face the king of kings is on our side the lord of lords is walking for me the king of kings is fighting my battles no matter what comes your way no matter what diseases no matter what problems God is walking and he's with you Woo! he's with you 
He's with you. It don't matter what you're going through. It don't matter how sick you are. It don't matter how depressed you are. It don't matter how anxious you are. The word of God is with you. The power of God is with you. And when he's with you, he's not just going to leave you there, but he's going to pull you out. He's going to take you out of that. He's going to rebuke depression and anxiety. He's going to take it out of your mind and out of your life. Why? Because he's true. And he's powerful. He's powerful. But what's it going to take? What's it going to take? We've read through the scriptures. We've just dissected this word from God. And he's telling us that he's alive. He has all power. He's sending us. He's trusting us. And he's with us. So what's it going to take? What's it going to take to take him at face value? What's it going to take for the scripture to marinate into our spirits? Let me tell you, our attitude has got to be right. And our distractions have to be gone. There is no other way. The word of God is clear. And he's given us direction. But we will find every distraction available to make sure that it gets in the way of what God is wanting to do. All power is his. All authority is his. Distractions should have no hold on your mind and on your heart and in your life. Distractions are not all sin. And it's not all bad. But it's still a distraction. If it's keeping you from the word of God. And more importantly, if it's keeping you from the house of God, when it's only twice a week, then it's a distraction that has to go. It's a distraction that we've got to eliminate. We cannot afford ourselves to simply play patty cake with distractions and tolerate them until maybe one day we have more time. But we've got to make a decision and a declaration this morning that distractions that are not edifying the kingdom of God, distractions that are not edifying my relationship with God, distractions that are not edifying my family and their walk with God have got to go. Distractions that are not valuable and beneficial to me and the kingdom of God have got to go. Distractions that are simply sucking up my time and my energy and there's no real value in it have got to go. Distractions that are not beneficial for those around me and those that could speak life into those that love me and encourage me have got to go. Because when we talk about the word of God, the word of God is alive. The word of God is powerful. The word of God has the, uh, God alone has the authority to, uh, to forgive sin and just restore those that need it. It's courage and it's strength. And it's everything that we can ask for. But distractions always creep in. And they've got to go. Our attitude has got to change. Our attitude cannot be that of a defeated Christian, but rather a victorious Christian. Our attitude has got to be, yes, God can do it. In the face of adversary. In the face of those that don't believe what what you're thinking. And those that don't believe that God can do it. In the face of those that doubt and those that are confused and those that have anxieties of what this world has to offer. Our, our fight and our mantra and our theme has got to be, yes, God can do it. Yes, God can do it. Hey, the, the cancer spread all over your body. Well, God can still do it. Hey, this miracle is way out of hand. Well, God can still do it. Hey, this miracle is not possible because all science contradicts it and all science says it's not going to happen and it's not possible. Well, let me tell you something. God can do it. Let me tell you, hey, all the bills are piling up and there's no jobs calling me. Let me tell you, God can do it. Hey, my kids are too far gone from God. They've backslid and they're so far removed. Let me tell you, God can do it. Hey, my kids don't want anything to do with God and I can't hold them still and they're being rebellious. God can do it. Hey, I don't know what's going on in my work, but everybody seems to be getting laid off, but nothing has happened to me. Hey, God has done it. God is going to do it. God has got your hand. God has got your future. You are secure in the one true living God. You don't 
don't have to look elsewhere. You don't have to find somebody else, but you found God. And if you found God, you have found his word. And his word lets me know that he trusts me, that he's with me, and he's sending me because he is all authority and all power. Can you imagine Can you imagine the boldness that will get into our spirits when we just simply begin to not just read the word of God, but just bask in it and apply it to our lives? He's sending us. He's sending us to change the world upside down. Hey, there's no reason this church cannot grow to three to four to five hundred people. And there's those that will come and worship, but they'll doubt. But I've come to worship and say, hey, God, you can do it. Hey, God, you've got all authority and all power, God. We are believing that you're going to do the miraculous regardless of what anybody else says. God, I believe, Lord, that someone could get the Holy Ghost this evening. God, uh, well, I don't know. I I don't think that's possible. Well, maybe so-and-so, but I I don't know. Maybe if the worship is just right, maybe if the music is playing just right, maybe if the musicians hit the right tone. No, that stuff doesn't matter. That stuff is irrelevant. That stuff at times can even simply be a distraction. But God is saying, hey, if you're pure in heart and you're ready to receive my spirit, all you got to do is lift your hands and worship my name, and God will fill you with the Holy Ghost in a moment's notice. God will fill you with the spirit like never before and take you out of where you're at and pull you into some place new amen music can come but it's something that we've got to be prepared for it's something that we've got to be ready to face head first because attitudes are not always easy to change I've always been this way I'm not rude that's just who I am ever heard that one I've heard it plenty of times at work Our attitudes are not something that easily can change because our logic doesn't always match our attitude. Logic and theory and just common sense, unfortunately, sometimes will say, no, don't do that. That can't happen. There is no reason. Logic will keep uh, the, the, the paralytic man on his bed. Logic will say, hey, he's been this way since birth. Logic will say, there is no hope. Just give him an extra quarter. Logic will say, don't waste your time on him. Let's go find those that we can impact. Logic will say, hey, they got nothing to offer. Don't worry about them. Let's go focus on those that are big tithe payers. Hey, well, no, that guy, he's, he's asking for money. He ain't got no money to give. Let's just ignore him for now. And let's go find those that seem appealing. That's logic. But logic in the house of God does not work. Because God will say, hey, you are broken and you can't walk. Well, let me just simply pick you up. Hey, you've been sick from your mother's womb and you can't do nothing else. Let me heal you at this moment's notice. Logic will say, hey, that man has been blind forever. But God says, hey, let me just spit in some dirt and let me just rub it in his eyes. And healing becomes evident to those that are around him. You see, when, uh, when, when the Lord is involved, logic is out the window because God creates all things and he makes all things new. And he restores anybody and everybody that he wants to. And when God walks on the scene, everybody that once had a problem is problem free all of a sudden. When you begin to lift your hands and lift your voice to the one true living God. But logic may try to tell you, hey, your family, your family tree does not reflect you that of a preacher. 
Your family tree does not reflect you of that of somebody that's alcohol-free or drug-free. What are you thinking? Uh, give it two months and they'll be out of church. There's nothing true for them. There, there's no substance in that person to commit to living a lifestyle for God. Theory and logic from those outside. But God does not work on those attitudes. God does not work on that realm. But God says, hey, you, you may be the most broken person in this world. You may have two drug-addicted parents. You may have parents that are maybe are not even living nowadays because they, they, they were given to addictions and drugs and alcohol and that destroyed their life. And people look at you and all they call you is the son and daughter of those that were addicted to drugs. They don't even know their names, but they know exactly what they were doing. People may look at you and say, no, there's no way. I, I've seen that person running the streets. I know what they used to live like. I know what they used to be like. And I know what they used to do and where they used to go. But let me tell you, there is nothing that keeps the Lord from anybody when they come into his house with hands lifted high in adoration and in worship. And they said, God, I'm sorry. God, forgive me. God, restore me. God, I'm sorry for all the wrongdoings and all the failures that I've done, God. And in that moment's notice, God says, hey, your past does not matter to me. Your past is not important. What you've done does not bother me. It doesn't intimidate me. And it doesn't cause me fear. But God says, watch what I'm going to do in your life. And he turns around and people begin to see the favor and the promise of God that is in your life. Because you gave the Lord a chance. And when you give the Lord a chance, he won't fail you. He won't leave you, nor will he forsake you. But he'll say, hey, let me use you for my kingdom. Let me use you for my glory. And if we will simply walk humbly before him, God will say, I will elevate you to places people never thought you would get to. He will elevate you to places people never thought you would amount to. But God says, I have the final say. So our attitude has got to be changed. Do we believe or do we not believe? There is no hey sometimes based on, based on what's happening. Our attitude has got to be yes or no. And I believe every single person in this room, we could all stand. I believe every single person in this room has a yes attitude. Every single person that can hear my voice this morning. If not, you probably would not be here. If you, not, if you did not believe that God can heal, you probably would not waste your time coming to church. If you did not believe that God could redeem and restore the broken and the sinner, probably wouldn't come to church. If you didn't believe that God can heal, probably wouldn't come to church. If you didn't believe that God can raise the dead, probably couldn't have come to church. If you did not believe it, probably would not be here. But our attitude has got to remain that of a firm yes, he can do it. If you need the Holy Ghost, there's a firm yes in the house. If you need to be baptized in Jesus' name because you've been, uh, you've been the worst of sinners and you're finally ready to give your life to God and say, God, forgive me. Baptism is not a sign of your life being perfect, but it's a sign of change, of I'm picking a different road. I'm making my way to a different direction. If you have not been baptized in Jesus' name, this morning would be a wonderful day for you to, re to leave this house revived and renewed by His power. If you need the Holy Ghost, we've got the ministry down here that we're willing to pray with you. And they want to pray with you. 
because it's a gift for you. It's a gift that everybody can receive. It's a gift that is available to the worst and to the best. It's a gift that God has prepared and you don't have to ask for it. You don't have to beg for it. You don't have to pay for it. You just got to say, Lord, I'm here. God, I need, your, I need your holy power, God. I need your spirit to dwell inside of me. Or maybe you've never even repented of your sins before. Maybe it's the first time that you're here. Maybe you didn't even know what repentance was. But repentance is quite simple. You look at your life and you see things that God was not pleased with. Things that you've done that the Lord would not approve of. All you gotta say is you're sorry. Repentance is just asking God to forgive you. And you will begin to feel his presence saturate you as he confirms that he's forgiven you. Because if you're, if you're trusting in him and you fully believe that he can do it, he's gonna fill you with the Holy Ghost this morning. Man, why don't you lift your hands right where you're at? The Holy Ghost is moving right now. He's moving right now. That's it, that's it. Don't, don't, don't be taken away by the music. Don't get lost in singing the chorus or the, or the song. Just continue to lift your voice. That's it. That's it. The Lord is touching you right now. The Lord is moving on your heart right now. The Lord is speaking into you right now. What's it going to take? What's it going to take this morning? We've got to say no to the distractions. We've got to forget about everything around us and just get to an altar. Get to a place where we can pray and worship His name. It's going to take an attitude change that yes, God can do it and God will do it. This altar is open. I invite you to this altar. Why don't you be brave this morning? Be brave and allow God to do something special in you. Be brave and say, God, enough. Enough is enough. I'm tired of this lifestyle.